Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on CageSidePress.com. I'm Danny Kobe Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. The UFC is in Charlotte, North Carolina this weekend for UFC Charlotte, headlined by Jelton Almeida versus Jair Zinho Rosenstroik. And we, of course, will be breaking down that fight as well as two other of our favorite main card fights as part of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays, where we'll also give you an underdog and a parlay that we think will make your wallet fat this weekend. In addition to all that, I'm giving you the interviews you know and love. Kicking off the show this week, we are talking to Brian Battle, who's getting to fight Gabe Green at UFC Charlotte. And a little bit later on in the show, we're going to talk to that aforementioned Gabe Green as well. So let's get you to all that great content right now. The hosts are ready. The fighters are ready. Listeners, make some noise if you are ready. For Top Turtle MMA with Shockwave and Gumby. Alright, and joining me today is Brian Battle, who fights Gabe Green at UFC Charlotte. That fight is on May 13th. So, Brian, obviously, I want to get to talking about the Gabe Green fight, but before we do, we got to start on sort of a sour note. You're, you're bouncing back from your first loss in the UFC, and it was a short-notice loss. I, I want to get your take on the fight itself and sort of what you've done after the fight. Do, do you regret taking the fight on short notice? Did you feel like you learned something from it? What What, what is the feeling afterwards? Uh, man, this, I don't regret. I don't regret anything. You know what I'm saying? Because uh, my my goal was never to be undefeated in the UFC. My goal was to be a champion in the UFC. And so, um, you know, sometimes you got to be Khabib. Sometimes you know you got to be someone more like Robbie. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you learn lessons the harder way. So, uh, for me, uh, that Renat thing. There's there's so much going on. Uh, just before the fight and like even before getting into the fight, there was just a lot of things going on before the fight. Uh, and you know, I, I always felt like, um, if I could just get into the cage, I'll find a way to win. You know what I mean? And, um, I think as a fighter, you kind of have to have that mentality to a certain extent, but then you also have to look out for yourself in certain situations because we are fighting the best guys in the world. We're fighting the very, very most elite guys. So it's like, you really have to be, on top of your game, you know what I mean? And, um, uh, and then just, just beyond that, like, uh, you know, if I'm being honest, you know what I'm saying? I think, um, I won't say I look past or not, but, um, he was just better at things than I thought he was going to be, you know? Um, you know, you look at his tape and, um, you know, he's a great wrestler, but you're looking at his takedowns, you know, it's nothing where he's chaining things together and he's doing this and doing that. He's shooting double legs and single legs. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, I know how to defend double legs and single legs. But, you know, one thing I learned, which I thought was um, just such a funny, funny lesson, you know what I mean, to be learning in the middle of a fight. Uh, but if you're watching tape and someone is really successful in the UFC with a basic technique, you know what I'm saying? It's not because the person they're going against isn't good. It's because they are exceptional at that technique. Like if you're watching someone and they're able to hit a double leg or single leg whenever they want, the person's takedown defense probably isn't that bad. It's probably because their takedowns are that good. So, <laughs> um, yeah, shout out to Renat. He was a monster. Um, I learned so much in that fight. Man. I could just sit here and talk. Um, for hours, what I learned about 
you know, just in that fight, um, technically as as well as the preparation going into the fight. So, uh, no, no, me and my coach, we talked about it. We sat down, looked at the tape, talked about the whole experience afterwards, and neither one of us, we we don't really regret anything because we learned so much, and it's just setting us up. Because I, I, I do think there, there's a, a world where I win that fight, but uh, I'm set up much more for long-term success now because I lost that fight. And I lost early in my UFC career. I was the second fight on the undercard. Who cares? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I love that mentality, and obviously that growth mentality is what takes people farther. I, I did want to ask, though, because you said in there, you know, obviously you, you learned a little bit about game planning. You learned a little bit about, you know, this piece or that piece. And then you also learned a little bit about, like, overlooking your opponent. Did you feel like the takeaway was more of the, the physical or the mental side of things? Because obviously, you know, like the physical piece of the takedown, but also the mental piece of just, like, you know, what it looks like to take a fight on two weeks' notice in the UFC. Um, I'll be honest. I think I think a lot of both. You know what I'm saying? That's what, there, there was, like I said, there was lessons learned, like, outside the fight and in the fight. Um. And, you know, um, something that I've just been talking to people about, like, now that I've had, because, you know, I've done plenty of short notice fights. I mean, I was on the Ultimate Fighter, you know what I'm saying? That whole contest is a short notice fight. Um, But something that really dawned on me during this fight camp, you know, as I'm coming into the stretch and, you know, I'm starting to peak, you know, just because, you know, you're always – you know, if you're a professional fighter, you should constantly be getting better. You know what I'm saying? I know everyone does their approach to it's a little bit different, but you know, you're constantly training, you're constantly working on technique, you're constantly getting better. Um, like I was technically better going into that fight. I was stronger and faster going into that fight, but I did never peak going into that fight. And I don't think I realized that, you know what I'm saying? I, um, Cause I felt good. I felt like I was better than I had ever been. Uh, which I was technically, but I I wasn't peaking going into it, and um, that's that's pretty important now, especially now coming into this fight, hitting hitting that peaking zone where you're just like in the zone, you know everything's clicking all at the right time. It's kind of like oh, I forgot how important this is. You know what I'm saying? So uh, you can take short notice fights. Uh, I probably would be hesitant to take a mu- a fight under a month notice now. Um, but, you know, it's like taking short notice fights is one thing. You just got to be, you know, able to peak as you're heading into that fight, in my opinion. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm, you know, maybe not every fighter has to do it, but I'm not those fighters. You know what I'm saying? I'm not good enough to be able to take a um, a fight against one of the best fighters in the world and not be quick uh, on all cylinders. I, I like that. I like that. That's that's really helpful. Now, I, I'm curious, too, because you, you mentioned before not everybody can be Habib. Some people have to be Robbie. And and I love that mentality that, you know, like we, we don't have to have perfect records and only fight nine times in the UFC and then get out of here. <laughs> it, it, is Robbie Lawler like a, a name that you look up to as a, a career you'd look to emulate? I, I mean, obviously as a champion, but also just as a guy who put together, you know, just like a wild body of work. Well, is uh, honestly, if I could cut his career in like half like, <laughs> like uh, <laughs> but no i mean really because uh, i remember you know when i first got into just being a fan i remember watching clips of robbie lawler uh back in the day and then seeing him in strike force and then um 
I wasn't following as closely for a little bit. And then when I got back into it, that was when he was making his title run. And I just couldn't believe the metamorphosis he had made. Like I was, in, in my head, like the, the, the notion I had of him was like, like I could, didn't believe that he was capable of performing at that level. And, you know, he was just there beating all the best welterweights in the world uh, at this late stage of his career. And like, that is like, you can go back and listen to a bunch of interviews I've done that his, his run where he ran to the title and ran with the title. That is what got me into the gym. That's what got me training. Cause as I was, after watching that, I was like, Oh, this is, um, I, I have to try fighting at least once to see what I'm made of. You know what I mean? So Robbie Lawler is actually one of my favorite fighters of all time. He's a huge motivator, inspiration. To me. I, I love that. I dig that. I dig that. Now, let, let's talk about where that led you, because obviously now we're getting ready to fight Gabe Green, May 13th. But not only are you getting to fight Gabe Green, May 13th, getting back in the cage, but you're getting to do it in your own backyard. You're getting to fight in Charlotte. When you found out the UFC was coming to Charlotte, was coming to North Carolina, how excited were you, and how much did you start pressuring your manager to make sure you got on this card? <laughs> well, I mean, here's, here's the thing, right? I had not – I didn't – even catch wind that they were even thinking about Charlotte. Like when I signed the contract to fight Gabe, the location was to be announced. And I, when I first got it, I was just looking at the headline, which at the time was Anthony Smith versus, um, uh, Johnny Walker. Oh my God. Johnny Walker. Yeah. I was, thank you for that. Um, I was looking at the, the headline. And I was like, well, that's pretty neutral. I don't really see why they wouldn't put that at the apex, but, um, but I was like, okay, but it'd be cool if it was somewhere else. Uh, then I heard a lot of rumors about South Carolina, actually, and Nashville, which either one would have been awesome. But um, I was literally driving from strength and conditioning to um, my main MMA gym, um, and a teammate I had in the car with me at the time, he was like, oh, you're fighting in Charlotte? And I was like, oh, no, man, you know, there's rumors. It might be here, it might be there. And he was like, no, 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 no. And he turned his phone around, and it was like UFC's official post like UFC returning to Charlotte and it was the day that I was fighting I was just like and I won't lie I got I got pretty emotional I, you know I went through a whole gambit of you know emotions first it was just like excitement then it was um when it sunk in you know it was more a little emotional you know what I'm saying because it's just something you dream about and since UFC is a global brand you know what I'm saying the chances of them fighting in your hometown um you know, it's unlikely unless you have that kind of pool. So to be fortunate enough to, you know, and I'm the only person from the Carolinas on the card, as far as I know, um, to be in that position, to be able to perform in front of my friends and family, like it, it I, I can't put into words what it, what it feels like. Yeah. And I was going to ask you about that too. I mean, I'm sure you've got loads of friends and family who are coming out to the fights. Are, is your, your kid going to get to see a fight for the first time? Or is that going to be uh, the little battle out there? Um, that that's up to mom. That's up to mom. You know what I'm saying? Like, well, uh, it's, it, it's funny because it's like I know he's not gonna remember any of it. <laughs> he's so he's so young. That's it's hard because it's so cute, like seeing him do things. And it would be cool having him in the audience, but then um, uh, always in the back of my head, I'm like, he's not gonna remember anything about you know what I'm saying doing birthdays and everything like that. And it's all cute. You're like, he's not gonna remember. <laughs> so that that that's up to his mom if she wants to bring him and sit with him um, <laughs> that would be dope but you know we'll see, we'll see. Uh, all right all right so so let's talk about the fight itself now obviously you're fighting gabe green 
quite a bit different than Renat Fakhradinov, right? He's a guy who's made kind of his career in the UFC more with his striking, you know, with his knockout power on the regional scene and stuff like that. What were your thoughts when you first got offered him as the opponent and kind of his style? Um, well, like I, I asked for that fight. <laughs> this is two fights in a row that I actually asked for. I saw, um, I actually, a teammate sent me, um, uh, uh, just a random Instagram post about, um, uh, cause he was supposed to fight, uh, Jake Matthews and Jake Matthews pulled out. So my teammate sent that to me and I was like, Oh, that'd be interesting. So I just, you know, um, I texted my manager, Jason, a uh, house, best in the biz, you know, and I was like, Hey, uh, you know, what's up with Gabe? And he was like, I can tell when, cause I, I, I message him all the time about like random fights. Yeah. I see people pull out. They're like, Hey, yo, so I can tell when he's like, seriously, like hearing what I'm saying, or it's just kind of like, ha ha. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know <what> <laughs> um, um, but, uh, as soon as I asked about Gabe, he was like, you want that fight? Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll talk to uh, I'll talk to Sean about it. It's just like okay, cool, um, and you know it, it wasn't really any. Even if he was kind of like we're not, I, you know, I felt like six weeks that was an appropriate amount of time to you know really prepare for somebody. But uh, with the style that he does have, because I, I I was very familiar with who Gabe was even before I took the fight. You know, I um, watched some tape on him uh, for like a little breakdown show I used to do back in the day and uh I watched this fight with Ian Gary really more to scout Ian than him but um you know it ended up uh playing out how to fight him and uh you know I, I hope he's been working on his double leg man <laughs> <laughs> a, uh, I hope he's been working on his double leg because um you know, he, he's a tough, durable dude, but, you know, if the fight stays on the feet, there's no way I'm losing it. You know what I'm saying? Even if it goes to the ground, I feel pretty confident uh, in my abilities. But um, if he fights me like he's – I'm assuming uh, we've been training for Gabe 2.0. I'm assuming that he's improved just like, you know, everybody on the con- roster is constantly improving. But um, if he fights me like he's been fighting people, it's going to be a uh, it's gonna be a bad night for my boy Gabe. So then let's get the official prediction before we get out of here. How do you see this one end come May 13th? Uh, I see me uh, taking him out before the end of the second round. All right. Well, you're here to hear first, folks. This has been Brian Battle, who fights Gabe Green at UFC in Charlotte on May 13th. Once again, Brian, thank you so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Hey, I appreciate you for having me. Can't wait to talk again. Well, we hope you enjoyed that interview with Brian Battle. I once again, I'm Daniel Gubby Freeland, joined now by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, let us start here. Aljamain Sterling defends his UFC bantamweight title over Henry Cejudo. The question I got to ask you is, Henry Cejudo seemed like he was almost done in the cage. It seems like afterwards, hey, he might be interested in a fight with Marab or Brandon Moreno. But if he is actually done... How does he get remembered at the end of the day? Because, you know, two-division champion, but not the best resume. So how do you think people are going to remember Henry Cejudo? Um, yeah, that's an interesting one, right? Now, first, may I just ask, did 
he announced that he's officially retiring? Because I thought he wanted to fight Murab Davishvili now. No, no, he didn't officially say he was retiring, but he had his gloves off, said he didn't know if he was going to keep doing this, gave us one of those kind of answers. Since then, yes, has called out Murab for a fight in Boston. Um, Brandon Moreno called him out. He says he's kind of interested in that one, too. So it seems like he's not going to retire. But then again, we didn't see the retirement coming in the first place anyway. So um, my point is, it's just like, if he doesn't do more, if this is where we've seen Henry Cejudo, like, is he an all-time great? Do we still put him in the – I mean, Daniel Cormier was a two-division champ. Do we put him in the Daniel Cormier realm? No, he's the weakest two-division champ of all time. That's what he is. And that, and Did that he ever inclu- defend that includes, that includes Amanda Nunes. You know, no offense to Amanda Nunes, but she's, you know, a two-division champ in a non-division and a division that, you know, barely has any – uh, solid contenders in it. And no, he did defend both belts, right? He defended the flyweight belt against uh, badly depleted oh, TJ Dillashaw. Yeah, uh, and then right. he de- he defended the bantamweight belt against 450-year-old Dominic Cruz. Yeah, which is kind of my point here, right? It's like, it, is this a guy we we care to remember at the end of the day? I'm not saying he's like a Dave Monet-esque champion, but, you know, he's not in that. I, I mean, I think he thinks he's, Conor McGregor echelon, you know, uh, you know, Anderson Silva echelon. And I really see him more of a, you know, maybe down below Frankie Edgar echelon, maybe, maybe Benson Henderson level. I I actually find Benson Henderson's accomplishments even more impressive. I, I, God, it's a tough one where to categorize him because he had one defense in each. 125, you know, DJ ruled it. He beat him, which is awesome. But, again, like, the defense was against a guy who never should have even cut down to 125 and skipped the line. So, to me, he never really owned the 125 division. And while I think he could have owned the 135 division, he didn't stick around long enough. So what am I supposed to do with that? Yeah, I I think what you're saying here, and and this is, I I think, where I'm settling, too, is that, like, the talent doesn't match the resume because the talent is incredible. He, he He's, you know, is when you look at the skills and, and the skills held up, you just saw him against Aljamain Sterling. And, you know, some people are making an argument he won. I don't think he won, but some people are making that argument. And that that shows he's still after three years off amazing at what he does. So we know he is a very, very, very high level fighter. But the, the accomplishments and the resume just don't seem to line up, right? Like, it, it just – it's not as pretty as a resume when you go read it back, right? Like, a you know, winning the vacant title off of Marlon Marias certainly does not make it look like an all-time champion. And could he have rattled off a bunch of wins? Could he have turned away a bunch of Bantamweight contenders? Could he have beaten – Corey Sanhagen and TJ Dillashaw upon returning and Piotr Jan, I might take him to win all of those. And if he had done that, I think we're having a different conversation about Henry Cejudo. And instead I'm sitting here wondering like, man, like, is he even going to be one of the people we bring up when we talk about the, you know, 10, 15 greatest of all time. And I'm kind of thinking, no. Yep. I'm with you completely. Well, that'll be determined at another time, though. We'll see where he lands as far as more fights and what the legacy stands at. But, Gumby, this week we have fights coming from uh, Charlotte, North Kakalaki. So let's go to our favorite segment on the show, Fights, Dogs, and Parlays, 
We'll break down a couple of fights, give a dog we like, and a parlay to play. But before we get into it, Gumby, does anyone sponsor this edition of of Fight Dogs and Parlays for UFC Charlotte? Absolutely. Fight Sucks and Parlay is brought to you by Maroon Social, M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. Whether you do kickboxing, judo, sambo, jiu-jitsu, or any other martial art, you can use Maroon Social to log your training sessions, tag your training partners, log competitions, weigh-ins, and so much more. Ditch that dirty jiu-jitsu journal and get yourself Maroon Social wherever it is you download apps. All right, let's start with a heavyweight main event matchup of Jelton Almeida, a very strong minus 550 favorite to Jorginho Rosenstruck, a plus 400 dog, betting off at a 4-1 to one dog is Rosenstruck. He is coming off a win over Chris Dawkins via KO, but he lost to Alexander Volkov and Curtis Blades before that, so he is 1-2 in his last three. And it's really been since about 2019, so over the course of the last three years, as he capped off his 2019 with KOs over Andre Arlovsky and Alistair Overeem, he then ran into a big KO loss himself to Naganu, came back and beat Junior Dos Santos, lost to Cyril Gain, beat Augusta Sakai. He's become that win-one-lose-one fighter, and that's why he's a four-to-one dog here against Jelton Almeida, who is on in the UFC, if you include Dana White's Contender Series, a five-fight win streak. He's coming off a TKO, over, TKO win over Shamil Abdurakahimov back at UC 283 in January. Uh, massive favorite here. I'm assuming you're taking him. I'd like to hear a path to victory for Jerzinho, but who you got officially? I, I mean, I'm taking Jelton Almeida. I, I have been saying since he signed with the UFC, even when he was on Contender Series, I think this guy could win the 205-pound title right now. Um, I don't love that he's at heavyweight. I think he'd make a better light heavyweight. But even at heavyweight, I think he's a serious contender, and I think he's going to prove it this weekend. If you think Rosenstroik can win, you're just hoping he can land the big punch. Um, And right now, I just think Jelton Almeida is a better technical boxer, and he stays away from the big punches. That's like you know, maybe one of the best things he does is his defensive boxing. And I think, you know, he's going to get that takedown. He is going to have that top game. And not that Curtis Blades didn't have like loads of success against Yair Zinho Rosenstrike, but I think the jujitsu of Jelton Almeida is going to prove to be even harder for Rosenstrike. He might not get the takedown as easy as Blades does, but once he's down, I think Rosenstrike is going to have so much trouble getting back up. I think you're going to see a submission here. So, yeah, give me Almeida. I, I think he gets it done quick. I like it. Let's move then to Alex Marino, a minus 225 favorite, to Tim Means, a plus 185 dog. Uh, Marino, the 32-year-old fighter born in the great state of Texas, is coming off a loss to Santiago Ponzinibbio, but he had won four fights in a row in the UFC before that. So he is 4-1 and one in his last five, but coming off a loss. Tim Means has been doing the damn thing for 800 years. He's 39 years old. He's on a two-fight losing streak, lost to Max Griffin and Kevin Holland. He had had a nice three-fight win streak before that, though, with wins over Mike Perry, Nicholas Dalby. Uh, so call him two and three in his last five. He's given up seven years in age. He's a plus 185 dog. Any reason to take Tim Means here? Who are you going with? No, I'm going with Alex Morano all day. Look, Alex Morano was actually beating the pants off of Santiago Ponzinibbio in that fight. He got a knockdown in round one. He was landing more shots. He was landing harder shots. 
And it just took it to round three where he tired out a little bit. And Ponzinibbio does what Ponzinibbio does. He lands that big bomb and got the finish. So, you know, while I, I think it's a legitimate loss, it's also barely a loss. This dude could very easily be on a five-fight winning streak. And I think he's way faster. He's got a better gas tank than Tim Means. I even think he could wrestle Tim Means if he really wanted to here. And his submission game is kind of underrated. So, yeah, give me Murano any way he wants. I actually think this price tag isn't high enough for him. Wow. I like it. Strong, bold words. We have a banger of a fight next because Vegas doesn't even know what to make of this fight. And let's hope that Top Turtle MMA does. It's Anthony Smith, a minus 110, facing Johnny Walker, a minus 110. No one knows what's going on here. Uh, and if you put a gun to my head, I would have said these guys had already fought, but they haven't. <laughs> uh, Anthony Smith is coming up a loss to Magomed Ankiolov via TKO. No real shame in that. Ankiolov is a beast. He had three wins in a row before that. So that's been a common theme here. We had some guys who were on win streaks, ran into a loss, trying to get back on their winning ways. So call Anthony Smith one and three in his last four. He's facing Johnny Walker, who don't blink twice. He's on a two-fight win streak himself, looking to keep that going this weekend. Wins over Ian Kutalaba via rear naked choke and a TKO victory over Paul Craig. He had lost to Jamal Hill before that and Tiago Santos. Hill, surprisingly, our current champion. What can you say? But Johnny Walker is 2-2 two and two in his last four. And it's funny to think about Johnny Walker having debuted on Dana White's Contender Series all the way back in 2018, he's now been in the UFC for five years. This was once a very promising prospect that people thought might end up being future championship material. It hasn't turned out that way. Of course he wants to get, you know, his third win in a row this weekend off a former title challenger in Anthony Smith. Very close fight. Who you got? Yeah, the interesting thing about this one is you're right. Johnny Walker used to be somebody we talked about being a title challenger, and he's sort of gone up and down with that, right? Like, he he would lose a couple of fights, look absolutely terrible, and we'd be like, oh, let's write that off. Then he'd look really good again with a couple of wins. Then we have the lackluster performance against Tiago Santos. Now in his last two fights, he's looked incredible again, and some of it is I think he's just comfortable with John Kavanaugh as his coach now. Finally, he's sort of settled into what that gym expects from him and how to fight under that gym. His takedowns have gotten really good. In that Kudalaba fight, he was not only not afraid of the ground game of Kudalaba, but he took it to him himself. Um, and then in Paul Craig's fight, you know, he looked phenomenal there. So, yeah, I really like the way Johnny Walker looks now. I think he's always been super dangerous on the feet, which is something Anthony Smith has to worry about. But I also think the way that he defends the takedowns now and the fact that he's going to have a height and reach advantage on Anthony Smith I'm going to lean to Johnny Walker here, but I will say the reason this is even money is Johnny Walker is an agent of chaos, uh, and he is never going to give you an easy fight to call. Um, but, but if, you know, gun to my head here, i got to pick a winner. I, I think he's settled in a little bit with uh, Kavanaugh here, and I think we see the best version of him. Boom, I like it. Well, those were our fights. Let's get to our official dog of the week, and it's Pete Rodriguez, a plus 250. Break that down. Yeah, so Pete Rodriguez is fighting Natan Levy. This fight was supposed to happen a couple of weeks ago. And let me tell you something. I really love Pete Rodriguez. I think people have found it really hard to handicap him because he's fought twice in the UFC. Once was against Jack Della Maddalena, who's maybe one of the baddest dudes in the middle or the welterweight division right now. And the other one was to Mike Jackson, who, let's face it, not the baddest dude in the welterweight division. So he's kind of seen a huge gap and we don't really know where he fits in there. But I will tell you, Apart from eating a bunch of jabs from Jack Della Maddalena, he actually returned fire and hit a couple of good counters in that fight. 
that gives me a lot of promise for his boxing. And I think that Tom Levy, while he maybe could win by his wrestling, I think he's going to stand and trade with Pete Rodriguez. And I think he's got the firepower to knock him out. So at plus 250, I really think it's worth a dabble on Pete Rodriguez here. I like it. Uh, our parlay to play is Alex Moreno, the aforementioned. He's a minus 225 favorite, as we've already broken down. But we're instructing you, suggesting, but also instructing, you pair Alex Moreno together with Tynera Lisboa, a minus 105. It's going to get you plus 182 odds, so almost 2-1 to one odds on this two-fight parlay. Let's hear it. Yeah, so I've, I already told you why I like Morano, and I think he's being underpriced here. I, I think he's a phenomenal value. I think he's just going to outwork means the whole time. Lisboa, I think people don't know too much about Lisboa. She actually opened as a pretty large underdog, and she is slowly swinging her way over to being a favorite because I think people are finding the film on her. She is a Muay Thai fighter with excellent clinch work. She's got really nice kicks, and I've seen her have phenomenal wrestling defense. She fought Norma Dumont very early in her career and was stuffing takedowns from Dumont way back then. So uh, her, her wrestling has gotten even better since. Her clinch game is deadly. And fighting somebody like Jessica Rose Clark, who's really a natural 125er, trying to bulk up to be at 35, I, she's had trouble with the grappling already, so you know she's going to want to strike. I just don't think her striking game is as sharp as Lisboa. So let's pair Lisboa with Morono and get a big number on the other side of it. I like it. That wraps up this edition of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays for UFC Charlotte. Hey, let us know how we did uh, in our advice. You could reach us at Top Turtle MMA on the socials. Gumby, we're having a party here. Let's not stop. What should we do next? All right, we're going to transition now to my interview with Gabe Green, who is actually fighting Brian Battle, who we talked to earlier on in the show. He talks about that as well as learning from his last loss, and we're going to get to that interview for you right now. All right, and joining me today is Gabe Green, who fights Brian Battle at UFC Charlotte. That fight is on May 13th. So, Gabe, I wanted to start here. I know we couldn't do this interview yesterday because yesterday was actually your birthday. Now, i got to ask, you're on full-on diet mode, full-on cutting weight mode. Is there anything you got to enjoy on your birthday? Uh, I mean, I, I had myself a, a, a banana with like a little dipped in uh, peanut butter, it, it was it was it was sufficient, you know. It, it was it was all right. We're saving the the cake and all that for after the win. And, and, and so then I gotta say, after you win, you know, your first food is it cake or or you got something better planned for uh, in terms of after you win for a birthday meal? Oh man, I, I'm craving like a super big. I might even have it like as my food to. Like before the, even the the fight, as like that that uh, after weighing meals, but I, I want a steak. <laughs> nice, and, and and I gotta imagine, you know, like you're you're not from the area, right? Are are you scoping out places in Charlotte to to get yourself a, a big ass steak? Uh, not not me personally, but uh, I have uh, some teammates that are are gonna be out there. Uh, they they booked a flight, and um, they're they're gonna be in attendance. Besides like my actual cornerman, and um, they're. They're on the lookout already, so I, I trust them. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Now, I, I want to talk about the travel to Charlotte, all that kind of good stuff. But before we get into a lot of that, l l let's talk about what you're coming off of. Because you're coming off of, you know, one of the tougher losses, with the, with the exception of the fact that, you know, you did lose in your debut on super short notice to a top guy in the division. Th this is really your first actual loss in the UFC and uh, first loss in two years. Did you have any big takeaways coming off of that fight in, in the, you know, the 10 months you sort of got to spend preparing for this one? Um, 
I mean, I I would love to fight Ian. Uh, I would love to fight Ian again. I would I would love to fight D Rod again. Um, actually, both of them. You know, um, I don't think that Ian is necessarily like the the, the better martial artist. He was definitely the he, he showed up better that night. But you know, I, I don't I don't think he was the 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 all around better guy. I just didn't do you know what I was supposed to do as a, as a fighter and and um. I'm going to make sure that doesn't happen again for whoever, you know, everybody, not just Brian, but, you know, everyone next. And, and so you said you didn't feel like you did, or, you know, you need, you did what you needed to do that night. Do you feel like it was more of the, the mental side of things, just like couldn't pull the trigger at moments? Or, you know, was was there something maybe he did that you weren't expecting? No, I mean, um, I kind of got uh, obsessed with, like, trying to, to – to knock him out and I was just trying to land that that one big one but I wasn't really trying to set it up either I was just like I'm gonna throw this it's gonna connect and he's gonna go to sleep and I kind of got stuck in that mindset and I was trying to force something besides letting it happen and uh you know it's always good to look for the knockout but um you know you're you're, you're letting it happen you, you want it to happen you're gonna put yourself in situations for it you're gonna set it up not just go like I'm gonna throw this right now it's gonna touch you on the chin and you're gonna go to sleep and so then I have to imagine leading into this fight, you, you, you spent a good amount of time mentally preparing more than physically. Is, is that fair to say that you're, you know, you're putting yourself in that space to make sure that this kind of stuff doesn't happen again? Um, I mean, I, I wouldn't say I like, uh, I, I didn't, I, I didn't like take it and be like, Oh, like this is what I need to do from like, no, and it wasn't like some, some giant experience or anything. It was just, you know, the thought that, came into my head and I was like let's not make sure that happens again or let's make sure that doesn't happen again and uh yeah I mean it, it was a I didn't I didn't dive like too too deep into it it was just like yeah no I messed up that's not gonna happen again it was it was a short just mental check on myself I like but, um, that. I'm, I'm pretty good with that so I think that's all I needed all right well that sounds good now l- let's talk about this fight with Brian Battle because it's a weird one because this this wasn't the original fight you originally got you know, what some people might have even said was a step-up in competition from Ian Gary and Jake Matthews. What, what was sort of your thoughts when they did initially offer you, you know, a guy who's been in the UFC for a really long time like Jake? Yeah, I mean, I was I was super down for Jake. Uh, I, I watched his fights, and I was like, oh, this is cool. It's, it's going to be a scrap. It was cool that we're, like, the same size, too. Usually everyone in the welterweight division, like, tower, towers above me, you know. And I'm just like, oh, that's cool. I'm going to fight someone. He's not a giant. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, I mean, then he had uh, his little accident. He was super, uh, he was super respectful. He messaged me before I even, like, heard about anything. And he was like, hey, man, I just want to say I'm not going to be able to fight you. I got, uh, had a little injury that happened. And, um, you know, I, I was like, oh, thanks. Thanks for telling me, dude. I told you, you know, um, I'm going to send you some prayers. Hopefully it's not too, something too devastating and you're able to get back in here. And then, you know, like, followed each other on Instagram and stuff. He's, he was a cool dude. Oh, that's awesome to hear. Awesome to hear. Now, you know, you, you mentioned in there, you know, you're sort of sick of, of fighting guys who are way bigger than you. And, you know, then they they make this late switch, and it's to a guy, look, who's two or three inches taller than you, uh, who's a couple of inches taller than Jake Matthews even, and who's coming down from middleweight. So, you know, what, what was kind of your, your initial reaction to they were like, you know, hey, we're switching you to basically fighting a middleweight? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not like I'm sick of it. I I, I know that for most for the most part, like I, as a welterweight, I'm a, as far as uh 
like frame goes, I'm a smaller welterweight, so I know pretty much everybody's going to be bigger than me. Um, I just thought it was cool that I was going to fight someone, like, you know, change it up and, and fight someone who wasn't. But, you know, he's a uh, Ryan. I, I'm pretty sure, I mean, he used to be a middleweight, but, like, Rose is, like, huge and misses head, uh, welterweight sometimes, so he might as well be a middleweight, you know? And I was able to beat him, so I'm not really tripping on the size. That's good to hear. Good to hear. Now, you know, we mentioned the the late switch, and it's actually to fighting a guy who's from the area, right? Like you're you're now officially going into enemy territory, where before you were the American fighting the Aussie. Now you're the you know guy from California fighting the guy from Charlotte. Do, do you think it all about being the the guy in enemy territory, being the the way fighter, so to speak? No, I'm not. I'm not really caught up on that. Um, you know, they say. Uh, home's where the heart is and um i got some you know basically my home i got my heart coming with me when um to fight out there so as far as i'm concerned i'm always fighting at home as long as they're there you know and um i'm not not worried about any of that i like to hear that now you know we talked about getting the fight switch we talked about brian battle a little bit let's talk about what you expect to happen in this fight because you said you know you're kind of expecting uh, you know, there to be a war in there with Jake Matthews, a good scrap. How do you see this fight with Brian Battle going? Um, I mean, he, from from what I've watched on him, he, he's pretty scrappy too, you know. He, he likes to fight, so I think we're just going to give a, an extremely enjoyable fight for everyone to watch, you know. I don't, I, I don't I'm pretty sure everyone's going to be thoroughly entertained when we go out there, touch gloves, and then let the leather fly. I'm excited to watch it. Now, before I let any of the fighters go, I always like to ask, can I get a prediction? How do you see this one ending on May 13th? You know, um, I just got baptized recently, gave myself to the Lord, and um, it's that's all completely out of my control. Whatever the Lord wants is going to happen. I just know that I'm ready for anything. I love that. I love that. Once again, fans, this has been Gabe Green, who fights Brian Battle. That fight is at UFC Charlotte. Once again, that's on May 13th. Gabe, thank you so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Well, of course, man. Thank you for uh, giving me the, the time and uh, platform just being able to talk to someone. And that's going to do it for another episode of the Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. We would not have a show without you guys. We also want to thank our sponsor, Maroon Social, and remind you guys that you can check us out on Twitter and Instagram at Top Turtle MMA in both of those locations. And until next week, I'm Dave Jacoby Freeland. He's Shockwave Dave Tremonte, and we will catch you then.